Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We are wrapping up today uh, our our series that we started back in the 1st of June, and we've just entitled it Grace Reigns. And I know some of you are really interested in my hula hoop, and you're wondering what's going to happen with this thing, and I'll tell you about it later. But... um, (laughs) We'll just, we'll just have to see. You know, I, one of the things I knew going into this series that was going to happen is um, it was going to be a little frustrating. And it, it was going to be frustrating because as the one who was going to try to do most of the explaining, I would try to explain to you something that's unexplainable apart from experience. There's, there's like no way with words to describe the grace of God. It's, it's got to be experienced. You can't, you can't just define it with words. I, I look for diagrams, you know, because um, I, I like word pictures and stuff, and I like images, and I think that way in pictures, but um, I couldn't find an image a, 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 that would display it, a diagram that would really help you connect with it. Because the truth is, it's it just some things in this life, in order for you to understand them, have to be experienced. And one of the, the, the positive things, one of the beautiful things out of the series for me has been conversations that I've had with you. Uh, opportunities that you've shared. Some of you have sent uh, letters and cards and I've gotten emails and I've had hallway conversations. And what they are, are they're stories of God's grace in your life. And those are, those are beautiful. And I want to tell you your stories of God's grace will do more to help someone else understand the grace of God than any words I could try to knit together. Your stories will make make a difference in another person's life. And I want to encourage you, write your stories, your grace encounters with God out. Just start writing them out. Put them in, in a Word document or something. But just, just start writing them out. How you came to know about the grace of God. How, how it's poured over you. How it's healed you. How, it, how it's protected you. Just, just start writing those stories out. And I would love to read them. I really would. I, one of the things I, 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 you know, you can do this. You can just say, I've got a grace story, Joe. Put it on a connection card. And by the way, if you're here visiting with us for the first time, we'd love to know that. You can just fill out one of those connection cards in the seat back. And, you know, we, we will not put you on a mailing list that you get over and over again. We'll probably send you a, a letter or two just letting you know we're glad you're here. And if we can encourage you somehow, we want to. So uh, feel, just feel the freedom uh, to do that. Um, but I would love to know just grace stories. Because we want to put those on display. We want to share those. Um, some of you are saying, I could never sit up here. Well, we'll video you in a room by yourself. You know, we'll, we'll do whatever um, to capture your story because it will, it will change somebody else's life more than anything I ever say will. So I, I just want to encourage you to, to think that way because if you're going to understand grace, you're going to have to do it experientially. And here's why. Because grace gets lost easily. If all you ever do is get the words, the definitions, um, grace will eventually get lost in your life because you have to experience grace in order for it to become yours. You've got to have a personal experience with the grace of the living God. And that happens best through his son Jesus. But, you know, we've been praying a prayer now for a month. God, don't let anybody who touches the life of, of the river, don't let anybody miss the grace of God. You've been praying that with me, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. 
But experience it makes all the difference in the world. And today I want us to think about an aspect of God's grace. One of the, one of the areas of our lives that God's grace can reign over if we'll take some initiatives. If we'll take a few steps ourselves. We can see the grace of God reign over something called our circumstances. So I want you to look at a verse with me from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. And it says this. Paul writes this. He says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and, and for me. It, you know, at first glance, it, it's, it's kind of a difficult verse to swallow because of the circumstances happening around you right now. Now, the word circumstance has as its root, uh, it comes from the same word that the word circumference does. Circumference, okay? Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this hula hoop today as your circumference. And it's the circumference into which all circumstances come into your life. So I'm just going to refer to it as your hula hoop. And in, inside your circumference, inside your hula hoop, I, I know some of you are thinking, he's going he's to spin it around and he's going to... I'm not. So just go ahead and get over it, okay? Ain't going to happen today. I think maybe I could get Terry Watkins up here, but we'll see. But I, I want you to think as we're walking through this today about your hula hoop. The circumstances that exist in your circumference. Those circumstances that, that you are encountering right now, this very moment in, in your life. And so, when, when you, as you think about that, the question throughout the morning is going to be, what's in your hula hoop? How are you dealing with what's in your hula hoop? Many of us have things in our hula hoop that we didn't put there. Many of us have many things in our hula hoop that we did not want there. We, we want to get them out of our hula hoop. We'd rather they be in somebody else's hula hoop. We just, we don't want these. We don't want these circumstances living in us. And then Paul comes along and he, and he says something like this. Give thanks in everything that's in your hula hoop. All the circumstances that you're facing, just, you, you give thanks the stuff, no matter how difficult it is. See, we, we have this idea that I'll be thankful when the circumstance leaves my hula hoop. You know, I'll be thankful if or when. Once that circumstance gets out of my hula hoop, then things will be okay, you know? We think things like, if that would leave my hula hoop, I wouldn't be so angry. If I could get this out of my hula hoop, you know, I, I wouldn't be so frustrated or irritated or, 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 or depressed or discouraged. If, if that would only go. If my circumstances were different, I would, I would be different. And so we create this kind of if-then arrangement in our minds. You know, and if I could just get what's inside my hula hoop, outside of my hula hoop, then I would be different too. So I've got to change what's in my hula hoop. And so we have these thoughts like this. You know, if you're single, you think, man, if I could just meet the right person. If you're married, sometimes you think, man, if I'd only met the right person. You know? <laughs> we, we think if we could change the circumstances somehow, you know, we, we, we think things like, you know, you know if, if we could just have kids. And then others think, man, if we could trade our kids in. You know, we, there, there's always these if-then kind of statements that we're thinking. If the neighbors would move. 
if the car was newer, if the house was bigger, if it wasn't so hot in that church, you know, we, we, we just think these things all the time, then our lives would be better. If it was just different, if our circumstances in our hula hoop were different, then, Paul the apostle, I'd be joyful. Then I would be thankful. People who kind of study human behavior tell us that that is the happiness illusion. That there's this illusion that we've created in our minds that if this would happen, then I would be happy. That's an illusion, folks. It, it, it smokes mirrors. It, it just, life doesn't, isn't lived that way. But we spend so much of our time thinking about if my circumstances would be different. And then what happens is we end up feeling miserable when they don't change. And we think we have the right to. But Paul comes along and in the middle of that he says, give thanks. Give thanks. So how do we do that? Because, you know, you say, I'm not going to give thanks for these circumstances. You know, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a thankful spirit when it relates to it. How could Paul say something like this? And maybe when you read it you think, well, Paul's lost his mind. You know, the, the, the boy, he's just gone off the, the rails or something. Or maybe Paul is just one of those, you know, happy-go-lucky guys. Nothing ever gets him down. You know, or maybe he's somebody who doesn't understand difficulty. Last week we looked at uh, a section from Paul's life where he was boasting about some things. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I, I had to skip over a section. And the section I had to skip over, I want us to come back to this morning. Because in this section, Paul gives us another list. Not, not these things that were really high and lofty and, and spiritual. These were the struggles that were, these are the things, think about it this way. These are the things that are in Paul's hoop. Okay, here's what Paul says, starting in verse 24 um, of, uh, of 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. He got, he got beat with a whip on five different occasions and received 39 lashes. He says three times, instead of, you know, whips, they use rods. He said, there was three different times I was shipwrecked. On one of those occasions, I spent a day and a night in the sea. He goes on to say, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, my fellow Jew, Jews, from Gentiles. I, I was in danger when I was in cities. I was in danger when I was in the country. I was in danger when I was in the sea. I was in danger from false believers. I, I've just been in danger. And then in verse 27, he says, I've worked hard and I've worked long and I have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. And I've been cold from lack of clothing. That's Paul's hula hoop. Okay, that's what's in, those are the circumstances in his circumference. Okay, that, that's the life of this man who, who wrote these words that said, in all your circumstances, in your hula hoop, be thankful. You know, just be thankful. Now, you, we read that and we say, how is that possible? You know, the dude said he got stoned a couple of times. Maybe, maybe that was his problem. He was just too stoned. He, he lost his mind or something. Who, who knows what happened, you know? But, but th this guy named Paul, he said, live this way. And, and I, I don't know all that Paul went through. I'm sure he didn't write about all of it. But I know that sometimes when people read that, they point out real quickly. Now, Joe, you got to realize Paul didn't say be thankful for those things. Pay attention to your prepositions when you're reading Scripture. It's important. Okay? He didn't say he was thankful for all those things. He said be thankful in all those things. Paul never said be thankful for. 
And you say, okay, deal with the preposition, but, but, but why? Why would, why would God inspire Paul to tell us in those circumstances to, to be thankful? To, to be able to give thanks in the midst of being beaten by rods? Or in the midst of being stuck floating in the sea? Not once, not twice, but, but three times. How can I be thankful when stuff like that is in my hula hoop? How, how do you do that? And I want to say it comes back to one word. And it's the word we've been focusing on and it's the word grace. It is the grace of God. Because the grace of God has the capacity to reign, to have dominion over all of our circumstances. Even if your list sounds a little bit like Paul's. And here's what I want us to do today. For us to really come to grips with how God's grace can reign over all our circumstances. There's two big questions that we have to know and then answer. And in order to understand how God's grace is going to reign over our circumstances. Now before, before you got to verse 18 in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul said in verse 15 he said rejoice always. In verse 17 he says pray without ceasing. And in verse 18 he says, give thanks in all circumstances. And all that's really good, but the thing that I love about the way Paul closes this chapter, and this is the end of the letter, is in verse 28 Paul says this, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, if you do a cursory survey of the last five or six verses of all of Paul's letters, you will find him saying pretty much the same thing, except the book of Romans. And then in the book of Romans, he talked about grace so much that he didn't need to end with it, okay? It was all throughout the whole letter. But every other letter that Paul writes to the churches and to individuals, he ends with this idea of grace coming to you. He prays for the blessing of grace on the people that he was writing to. And I think what Paul was saying is there is no way that you nor I will ever deal with the circumstances in our life apart from an experience with the grace of God. Without grace, it's impossible. You can't give thanks in all your circumstances without grace. But grace, God's grace, allows his, it, it to reign over all of our circumstances so that we can be thankful and we can be joyful when we understand God's grace. So here's the big question. Big question number one is how can grace reign over my circumstance? How can that even happen? And here's what I want you to, I want you to use your sanctified imagination for just a minute. I want you to imagine, you know the, the old style scales that you see, you know, Justice holding, she's blindfolded and she's holding scales and, you know, they're the balance kind of scale. In, in that image of that scale, uh, th there's, there's the idea... Uh, in, 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 in law, if you will, in the legal realm, that no one gets a special treatment. That the law is the same and should be applied to everybody the same. Now, the, those same kinds of scales back in the day were used on the economy. And so you could tell the value of something by how much it weighed. And so they would use these same scales to weigh out, uh, to show weight and, and worth and value. And just for the sake of having something visual, I want you to think about your difficulties. I want you to think about the pain that you're going through right now somewhere in your life. Maybe someone that you love is suffering. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe there's something chronic going on in your life. Maybe there's a painful relationship. It, it, it's your circumstances. The, those circumstances. Now, remember we, we, Paul's list from, from last week. But here's what I'm wanting you to do. I'm wanting you to look at your hula hoop for a minute. 
What are the circumstances in your hula hoop? And I just want you to identify some things that you could kind of put on a scale. Okay? We're going to do that in just a second. You're going to kind of put those things on a scale because we've, we've talked about this. We've talked about God's grace reigning over weakness. We've talked about God's grace reigning over our sin. We've talked about God's grace reigning over our shame and guilt and over the hurts that we've experienced in this life so much so that we could forgive with the weight of God's grace, that God's grace can have dominion over that because grace is more powerful than any of that, more powerful than our sin, more powerful than the shame that comes with it, more powerful than the bitterness that keeps us trapped. And so what God has done for you, we said, is greater than what any person has ever done to us. That grace is just, is bigger, is more powerful, that grace can reign over that. And it only happens because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The power of the resurrection is what gives grace life. And so Paul tells us that there is this promise that we have of eternal life. He, he, he tells us that there's this promise that, that, that we have. And so what we have is we've got, we've got a scale with all of our circumstances weighing us down. I mean, it just tips the scale down. Uh, in our lives. But Paul says that the answer to this great big question of what, it, how, how do I bring grace into my circumstances is this. I've got to weigh it against something. I've got to put something else on the other side of the scale. And what Paul tells us is I must weigh my circumstances against my eternal glory. I have to weigh, when I think about my circumstances, if I'm ever going to get to a place where I can have joy, even though these, I live in these circumstances, if I'm ever going to be thankful, even though I live in these circumstances, no matter what's in my hula hoop, how can I give thanks and have joy? Paul said there's only one way. You've got to weight something against that. And Paul says it's our eternal glory. I want you to look at this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul said this, he said, for our light... And momentary troubles. Now stop there. Some of you are saying, Paul, that, that is not describing my trouble. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my kids. You don't know my boss. You don't know my coworkers. God, you don't. Paul, you didn't know. Now remember, what was in Paul's hula hoop? You remember the list? Paul gets it. Paul understands circumstances of a negative kind. He understands the pain that, that it brings to our lives. But this is what Paul says. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Whatever's in your hula hoop, Paul says, compared to something else, it is light and it is short. Somebody's saying, it ain't been short. You know, I, I've, I've been struggling with this for 35 years. I've been struggling with this for whatever length of time. You call that short? Paul says, whatever that struggle is, we need to understand that it's light and momentary compared to what? The eternal glory that awaits us. Compared to the eternal glory, it's, it, it basically says the glory that God has planned for who you are, who you are becoming, for what your eternal existence is going to be like, your life now, God says you have to weigh all of those circumstances with this. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, understanding who you are in Christ, knowing what it means, what your eternal glory is all about. Paul says that's how you can be thankful no matter what's in your hula hoop. You can be thankful. Only if you outweigh it. 
And the only thing that's going to outweigh your, etern your circumstances now is your life in Christ. And we have to stay fixed on that. Now in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul, Paul tells us something about our circumstances. He tells us, live this way. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. There's that idea of being thankful again. It says, let your request be made known to God. Now, I, I want you to understand biblically this word thanksgiving. Every time you see the word thanksgiving in scripture, I want your mind to be captured by the beauty of this. Because it is not, it's not ever saying you be thankful for that, that circumstance. It never does. It tells us to be, have, have this heart of thanksgiving. The word that's most translated in the New Testament as thanksgiving is the, from the Greek word eucharistos. Eucharistos. Anybody ever heard the word eucharist? Okay, it's the word supper. It's communion. When we participate in that, that, that great exchange. Okay, that's what it is. And the, the, the word Eucharistos is actually two Greek words that are married together. The first word means good, and the second word means grace. And so when you put them together, what you, what you have is good grace. So anytime you read that word thanksgiving, what you need to immediately think of is it's God's good grace. When you see the word thanksgiving in the New Testament, it's talking about God's good grace to you. So when Paul, anytime he says, and he says it often, be thankful in all circumstances, what he's saying is be thankful for, for God's good grace. How many of you have ever heard or said the expression, goodness gracious? That's Eucharistus. That's what it is. Goodness gracious is just simply Eucharistus. Okay? That's that Greek word. It means thanksgiving. So we ought to be people who are walking around saying, goodness gracious, all the time. Because that's what the word thanksgiving means. It means, I am thankful, God, for your goodness, for your grace, right now in the middle of my circumstances. It's never used in scripture to really talk about, well maybe once or twice, to talk about a specific circumstance. It's always used to talk about the goodness, the grace of God. So we thank God for his good grace. That is the only way to stay afloat under the circumstances that we, we face. And that's what every time Paul said, thanksgiving, be thankful. That's what, that's what was in his mind. Your good grace, God. It's the only thing I can think about. I just got to think about your good grace. So when you're in the middle of a tough situation, you need to think about the good grace of God that is superior, that is far more powerful, that in his sovereignty, God is at work, even in the midst of your circumstances. And that brings us to kind of the second thought that I want us to, to dive into today. We, we kind of began our thinking about God's grace out of this passage from Hebrews 12, verse 15 that says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And we've said we, we don't want anybody who connects with River Bluff Church to ever miss out on the grace of God. I, I, I've invited you to pray that with me. And, and I'm going to ask you to keep praying it. That no one would miss the grace of God. And I want to say that I believe with my whole heart that that word grace... And not missing the grace of God should mark every Christian church. Every Christ-honoring church ought to be marked and known by the grace of God. I think every Christian life should be marked and known by, by grace through Jesus Christ. Honestly, 
The only thing that really, the major thing that separates Christianity from every other worldview, from every other religion, from every other philosophy on the planet is God's grace. The free gift of life in Jesus is, is God's grace. And now so we've, we've focused a lot on the first half of that verse. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. But I want to close our time together today by looking at the last half of that verse deeply. It says, and, so it's saying again, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And that leads us to the second big question for today when it comes to grace. And, and this is the big question, the second big question when it comes to grace, and it's this. What will you do with your hand? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. I want you to look at your hand. You can look at both of them. You can look at one or you can look at both of them. But if you're going to connect fully with the grace of God, you've got to figure out how, how is grace impacted by what I do with my hand. And I want us to think about, about this for just a minute. Because for some of you in this room... Because I know, some of you have told me these stories. There was a time in your life that you stopped. You stopped out on the church scene. You, you quit coming. You quit going. Because at some point in your life, you were part of a church that tried to do church apart from grace. That tried to talk about God without God's grace. And what Paul is saying, no, not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in, in Hebrews 12, 15, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you try to talk about God without grace, what happens is bitterness. Bitterness will happen if you try to talk about God without grace. And some of you have talked about, there was a season of your life when you walked away, when you turned your back, and you were bitter towards the church. You were bitter towards the church. And what happened in that moment is grace got misplaced. You, you miss grace in, in that moment. And see, this has to be the foundation because if, if it's not the foundation of the church of Jesus, of every gospel-centered, Jesus-centered church, if grace is not at the center, there is going to be a root of bitterness that is going to grow up and the, the result is many are going to be defiled. Many lives are going to be destroyed when that happens. In, in the ancient Hebrew culture, when a plant that was poisonous was identified, it was called a bitter plant. It, it, would, it would be considered a bitter plant. Bitter plants have bitter roots. And so what, what the writer of Hebrews is referencing is this poisonous plant. And this is the image that he's giving of a church. A church that misses grace is going to end up being like a poisonous plant. It'll have poisonous roots and it will kill people. It will wreck people. It may grow slowly but eventually it will defile many. There will be much trouble because of it. And there are tons and tons of human stories that speak to that reality. Some of them may be yours. I, I have a few books in my library that are specifically related to how people's lives got wrecked when grace got misplaced in a church and it became a poisonous place where the, the people were wounded by God's people. 
uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Watts, has written a great book on this called Wounded by God's People. Another one that I would commend to you, it's, it's entitled When Bad Christians Happen to Good People uh, by Dave Brichette. This is not uncommon. Some of you are saying there's more than one book on the topic. There are lots of books on the topic because so many people have been wounded by the church. And I want to close this series out asking what kind of church is River Bluff going to be? Is there, are there places that we're missing grace? And ask God to show us. Are, are we missing grace? Are there places where poisonous plants are coming up? And I want to do that by telling you some stories from some of these books. One story is about a woman and a pastor wrote, wrote this story in to, uh, I think this was in when, when bad Christians happen to good people. But he, he wrote about um, a, a young lady that he was in a youth group with when they were both younger. And it was in a small church in a small town. And about 25 years later, he connected with her on Facebook. And he read, he, he saw her on Facebook, he read her, her profile, and on her profile page she had this quote. This was, her, this was her, her, favorite, her favorite quote. It was a quote from Gandhi and it said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That was, that was her profile, that's who she's saying, when you think about me, think about this. Okay? And the guy said that when he read that, he, his mind went back to their time in high school and in youth group together. He remembered when she came to Christ in middle school, how she, uh, she came to church by herself, her family was not involved, and she just attended and got really plugged in. And then when she was 16 years old, she got pregnant. And she kept trying to come to church, but some of the parents of the students that were in the group began complaining. And they said their kids shouldn't have to be exposed. This is kind of awkward for them. Um, they shouldn't have to be exposed to, to, to this when they come to church. And it didn't take this young lady long to get the message that she was not welcome. She wasn't welcome at, at this church. At least not in, in her condition. And a bitter root grew up in, in her heart. And it began to grow. Second story, this, this story was told by a, a children's volunteer at, at another church. She talked about an encounter she had with a lady who was coming in. She had served during the first service in, in the, that church's children's ministry. And as she was leaving to head for the second service, she encountered a woman who was coming down the hall um, with a 10-year-old child and her son. And she, they locked eyes and she could tell the woman, you know, had that deer in headlights look. She was lost and didn't know where to go. And so she stopped and offered to help her and took her to the check-in. And, you know, as they were walking along, the lady tells her, she said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been out of church for a while. I've, uh, I've been divorced for six years, and I was just going to bring my son today. This is our first time in church. And uh, so, you know, thank you for helping me. And so she got her checked in and, you know, kind of waited on her. And uh, they started walking down the hall together, and she started to head into the auditorium. And the, the, this mother started heading back out the, the entrance doors and she said you're not coming to worship with us and this was the lady's response can I can I, can I come 
And she said, well, of course you can come. You know, everybody's welcome here. And so they got into their seats, but by this time worship was already happening. People were standing and singing. And then after the second song was over, the first words out of the worship pastor's mouth was, God, we thank you. This is a quote. God, we thank you that no matter where our path has taken us in life, you can redeem us. You can forgive us. And the lady telling the story says that in that moment, that lady began weeping and she didn't quit the whole service. She just kept weeping. And she said, I watched as the guilt and I felt the shame begin melting away. And so they get to the end of the service and they were giving this invitation. And the invitation was basically anybody who wants, you know, to make a decision, who, who wants to give their life to Christ or back to Christ, you know, after the service, come on, come on down front. And she said she, she, they stood for kind of closing worship and she could tell the lady was getting antsy and she thought she was ready to go pick her son up. So she thought, well, I'll help her out. I'll go with her. So she said, I turned to ask her, did she want me to help her get back to her son? And she said, before she, before she could get those words out of her mouth, she said, the lady said, uh, I made a decision. Do I need to go tell him? And she said, well, that would be a good, good starting place. Um, so do you want me to go with you? And she said, the lady leaned over and said, yes, I, I would like for you to go with me. And she whispered to her, she said, I never thought I could do that in a church again. Because the last church that I was at told me after I was divorced, I was no longer welcome. One more story. This story is told by Pastor Jean LaRoe. I mentioned something that he, a quote from him a couple weeks ago. But he, he shares an experience when he went. In his town there was a new ministry that had kind of started growing up. It was called Love in Action. And one of the members of his church had begun attending. It was a ministry that was devoted to helping people who were caught in sexual addictions. Sexual problems, struggles. And John tells about having gone to that, the meeting for the first time, this, this guy that he knew that had been attending, you know, told him what time they met. So he just showed up, unannounced kind of thing. And he went and he kind of sat in the back of the room and he didn't know what to expect and didn't, you know, didn't know what was going on. I said it was a good sized gathering of, of men. And the, the way the whole thing kind of got started, one guy went up front, got behind the podium, and he started telling a story. He said, you know, I'm used to this. This is like somebody giving their testimony in church. He said the guy started talking. He said this. He said he began telling about a time last week when he was driving home from work and he passed a nightclub for adults. And then he said when I drove by this adult nightclub, I really wanted to stop. And he said in the room at that time when he said that, about 20 hands went up. And it said... Then they put him down. He said, the guy just kept on talking. He wasn't phased a bit by the hands going up. And John said it kind of bugged him because he wondered, did these guys have questions? He said, I've never seen anybody want to ask a question when somebody's given their personal testimony. And uh, so the guy goes on, unfazed. He starts, you know, telling his story. Um, and he said, I didn't want to, but I pulled into the parking lot and I went in. Hands went up. More hands this time. Again, a number of people, you know, just raised their hand. He said, I spent the evening at this place, and then he confessed some of the specific things he did. Hands went up again. And he concludes his story by saying this. He said, when I left, I felt so ashamed, so very ashamed, that I didn't even think God could ever love me again. And John said that every hand in that room went up but his. Just a whole room of hands. And John said, 
it bothered him so much that he just got up out of his seat and went to the back and stood back there because he didn't, he didn't understand what was going on. And so the meeting director, realizing this was a first-timer, walked to the back and, and said to him, you, you, look, you look confused or troubled. He said, well, well, I am. He said, you know, this guy's telling his story, but these people have questions. How come nobody's, nobody's answering their questions? And he said, no, you, you, you misunderstand. He said, we only have one rule at Love in Action. And the rule is simply this. No one struggles alone. No one ever struggles alone. So when somebody stands and is telling their story, if something like that has been familiar to your story, you raise your hand. You raise your hand. Nobody ever struggles alone. I think that's the definition that Jesus wants for his church. A place of grace where nobody ever struggles alone. Where, where nobody ever struggles alone. See, remember the second big question for, about grace and your circumstances? What are you going to do with your hand? You have two choices. You have two choices. The first choice is you can point a finger. You can point a finger at somebody. You can point out their sin. Now, some of you are thinking, because I hear you thinking it. You didn't know I could do that, did you? Better watch it. You're thinking, what about sin, Joe? The church has to stand up against sin. Yes, the church does. The church has to tell of sin, but only to point to grace. That's why we even speak of it. That's what the law's purpose is, according to the scripture, is to point us to grace. So we don't point the finger at in any individual. We, we're not called to point the finger. That's not what we're called to do. That's your first choice. The second choice is this. You can raise your hand. When somebody speaks of a struggle that they're going through, and it touches a struggle you've experienced, that's me. Been there, done that. Yeah, I got that t-shirt too, brother. Yeah, I, I have walked through that too, sister. We, we raise the hand. We, we, we raise the hand. See, this doesn't need to be a place of finger pointing. It needs to be a place of raised hands. I, I'm broken too. I'm a hot mess too. I'm going to make somebody mad right now. I may have already made you mad. I don't think I've made it, said anything to make you too mad yet. But I'm going to make somebody mad right now. If you've decided that you're going to continue to hang out at River Bluff and you've determined that you're going to keep pointing the finger... I want you to reconsider that decision. Both of them. Because if you're determined that you're going to point a finger, I'm probably going to get in your face someday. And I don't mean that to sound callous or macho or nothing like that. But there's no place in God's kingdom, there's no place in the church of Jesus for finger pointing. But if you want to raise the hand when somebody's struggling and say, me too. I, I, I feel you. I got that. 
Let me point you to Jesus with that finger. Let me show you the cross. Let me show you the way of my Savior. That's a different kind of pointing. But it starts with raising the hand. It doesn't start with pointing out sin. It starts with saying, I know that struggle. I feel that sorrow. I, I know your pain. See, friends, we're all broken. Every last one of us is a broken mess. Now, some of us act like we're not. Some of us act like we've got it all together. But the truth is, nobody in the room does. No, nobody. There's not one person in this room that is more deserving of the grace of God than another. Not one. I don't care what you've done to keep your nose clean. I, I, see, we, we just need to be a people that says, I need grace too. I need it with both hands. You know, I need all the grace I can get. And some of you are experiencing that. Some of you have been sharing that. I want to share one letter with you that I got that came this week from a gentleman in our church. I'm not going to give his name. Um, he's 87 years old, and his wife is in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. And, and he wrote this. He said, I thank God that his grace is sufficient for my weaknesses. When we were talking about weaknesses a couple weeks ago. He said, my weaknesses are... I'm up in age, I'm crippled, and I have very little strength, and I'm trying to care for my wife. And then he said this, I take great comfort in knowing that Jesus knows my weaknesses and that his grace can reign over them. I talked to another man this week who was serving at our VBS. And he shared a story of how he had been estranged from his sister. They had a broken relationship over something that happened years ago. They really hadn't spoke. And when we were talking about forgiveness and that God's grace was enough, that he didn't have to live with that bitterness anymore, he made the decision that day, I've got to forgive my sister. I'm going to start that path. Two days later, he said, he said I have not seen her in years. He said, I bumped into her in the store. And his words were, that was only God's grace. Only by God's grace. And we had our first conversation, and healing has started. It's not over with. We still got a lot to do. But God's grace is helping me overcome that. And there are other stories of grace in this room, but here's the reality. If any of us are going to get to the place that we move from being people who point the fingers to people who raise the hand, there's one other thing you got to do with your hand. If you're going to be transformed from a finger pointer to a hand raiser, what you've got to do is you've got to put and keep your hand in the nail-scarred hands. You, you, you can, because you can't do this. You can't hold the nail-scarred hand to Jesus and point a finger at anybody. You got to let go of Jesus' hand. But I tell you what you can do, you can hold the nail-scarred hand and raise a hand. You can do that all day long by the power of grace. And that's what God is calling us to be. People who hold his hand and raise ours. When we come in contact with brothers and sisters who are struggling. With brokenness in the world. We say, I get that. Let me introduce you to my Savior that gave me grace to overcome this, to battle through this. We have in this church 
people who have seen the grace of God reign over unbelievable circumstances. Unbelievable things. I remember having a conversation a while back with a man who said, I am so grateful that God's love has overcome the day I funded an abortion. There are people here who have seen grace reign over their anger and selfishness and pride. People who are, who are saying, I'm seeing God's grace reign over my cancer now like I'd never seen before. Others who are saying, I've, you know, Bev was up here on the stage a couple weeks ago and she's talking about how, how the grace of God is ruling over the ways that she tried to protect herself from ever being hurt again. Just God's grace reigning over. Reigning over broken families, reigning over the ugly past, reigning over our guilt and shame and secrets, reigning over my brokenness, my sin. And so as we kind of close this out today, what, what I want us to do is I just want us to celebrate for a moment in worship God's grace reigning over us and reigning down on us. Just God's grace reigning, setting us free from sin, setting us free from the, the tendency to want to point a finger, setting us free to, to raise a hand with a brother in struggle, a sister who's struggling, the world that's struggling, to be people of the raised hand, that we would be those people of grace. You know, God's Word tells us in the book of Revelation that those who overcame the enemy, those who overcame Satan, did it two ways, by the blood of the Lamb, and through the word of their testimony. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you know what happens when you raise the hand? You were claiming the blood of Jesus. And you were giving testimony that you have overcome because of it. When you raise, when you point a finger, not so much. But brother, sister, when you raise a hand, you're declaring the blood of Jesus by the word of your testimony. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Father, we, we come thanking you for your great grace. Your grace that covers all our sin. Your wonderful, amazing grace. Your grace that reigns over the shame, the guilt that we feel. Your grace that reigns over our weaknesses. Weaknesses we have with our, these old bodies. Weaknesses we have in our minds. Struggles, hang-ups, hurts. Your grace reigns over all of it, God, and we give you thanks. We come now, God, saying we want to be the people of God, your people, people who don't miss grace, the kind of people who have chosen by the blood of the Lamb to give our testimony that I see the pain that you're in and I feel it too. I know the struggle that you have and I'm lifting my hand saying with you, I've been there or I am there. And you take them to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and for the very, very first time, you've come to realize that God loves you and that through the life and death on the cross, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be given the grace of God too.
And you, your heart longs for it. You've been, you've been looking to be healed of hurt. You've been looking to overcome bitterness. You're ready for that fight to end. You want to be a part of a community that doesn't point fingers but raises the hand with you to say this is a place of grace for all who would come. And so God, we come now to you. We come giving thanks for your grace. I want to say today, if you're here and you're one of those who you just showed up at church for the first time in a long time and you've been beaten up and battered somewhere by other Christians, maybe other churches. We want to help you walk into God's marvelous grace because there's more for you. This was just the first step in your healing. We want to help. So God, we invite you. Bring your people. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.